Excellent. Uh, we're on 2 Corinthians again. This is our third or fourth week, really, looking at this uh, wonderful part of the Bible, 2 Corinthians. And um, really, it's, uh, it's a large chunk, the whole of chapter 3, that's where we are. You might like to actually turn, though, to Exodus 19. Can I just give you a heads up? So 2 Corinthians 3 is where we are. That's our main chapter. But we will be flicking back to Exodus 19. So you might want to put your finger or your neighbor's finger in that now so that you can turn to it quickly when we get to there. All right, so Julian, though, is going to come and read the chapter to us. We're going to read a whole chapter. Uh, we've not, we don't usually do that, but it is important to read the chapter, I think. It's not too long, but through that, you get a, you'll gain a sense of the feel and the flavor of what's happening. So please listen up and uh, follow it through if you can. I shall put it on the screen. So there you go. You can follow it through. And we're going to read this chapter, chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. Okay? And let's, let's take it in. Thank you, mate. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily on the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness. For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It, is not, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, whom with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Wonderful. Thanks, mate. Father, we thank you so much for your word. What a wonderful chapter. So much in it. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, you would rest upon us and in us, that we might understand what you've given us through Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
Amen, amen, amen. Excellent. Well, that was the passage. Just to give you a bit of context to the passage, I want to just flick up a, a kind of a portrait of the Apostle Paul, which I have to say is my favorite kind of portrait, really. I imagine Paul looked like this, really. And the reason why I kind of like this portrait is, is because he's kind of worn and kind of a bit old and a bit scruffy. He's not glamorous, how he's sometimes portrayed. And, uh, and it kind of falls in line, really, with some of the earliest accounts we have of him. In fact, one very early account to description of Paul, about 100 years after he was walking around, described him like this. A man small in size, bald-headed, crooked thighs, whatever that really means, bow-legged people think, well-built, with eyebrows meeting, so monobrow, uh, and rather long-nosed. Right, that's the Apostle Paul, not a, not a striking figure. And of course, as we've been hearing over the recent weeks, the Corinthians themselves weren't that impressed with Paul. In fact, they say at one point, they say, in person, he's unimpressive. And the speaking amounts to nothing, which of course is a great encouragement to all preachers, really. <laughs> I'm just trying to be like the Apostle Paul this morning, all right? Just trying to be biblical, unimpressive. All right, uh, but that's how he was, and, uh, and and so Paul's still finding he has to defend his calling as an apostle to this church in Corinth, and uh, it's made harder by the fact that there are other teachers have been coming through, spreading false teaching really, and they are very impressive. In fact, Paul refers to them at one point as the super apostles. You know, these, these great presence of men, great orators. And of course, oratory back then was what everybody aspired to, great orators. And these super apostles were very good on the platform. You know, they had great platform presence, eloquent philosophical arguments. And compared to these guys, Paul just isn't in the same league, all right? He is ordinary and unimpressive. So eventually, the Corinthians kind of confront Paul, really. And they, and they say to him, they challenge him, Paul... What have you got to show us? What letters of recommendation do you have to support your ministry to us? Really what they're asking is, where's the proof that you really are an apostle sent from God to us? It's a direct challenge. And, and I love Paul's response. It's, it's profound, actually. He, he kind of turns back on them, and he says to them in verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation. In other words, what God has done among you through me proves that God sent me to you. That's what he's really saying. In other words, when Paul came among the Corinthians the first time, they had an encounter with God, an experience of God so powerful, so profound, that, that Paul can still point back to it and say, there's, there's your proof that God sent me. There's your proof right there. And in the rest of this chapter, Paul kind of unpacks what that experience is. And it is very powerful. And to be honest, I think we could do with being refreshed in the wonder of that experience again today. Which is why this chapter is so good for us. And in a nutshell, the experience that this church had encountered is really this. It is really this. It is the supernatural impact of the new covenant. The supernatural impact of the new covenant. And I want to just suggest to you at the outset, it is huge. 
It is, it is huge, and we need to get hold of it again ourselves. And so I want us to look again at what Paul says about this impact in this chapter, because he says a number of, of crucial things, so that's where we're going to go. A number of things. And to get hold of that, though, first, uh, we just need to go back uh, to the book of Exodus, because Paul, he sets up a contrast between the new covenant and the old one. Right, he sets up a contrast. So, so we have to go back to when the old covenant was first inaugurated and established. And so we have to go back to Exodus chapter 19. This is when you can open that part of your Bible again. And if you want to know what was going on back in Exodus 19, I just need to bring you up to date. Uh, the people of God had just come out of slavery in Egypt, if you remember the story. All right? So you've got the plagues, if you remember, the Passover, uh, you've got... Moses leading the people of Israel out through the Red Sea, the Red Sea parts, and Moses takes them through. And Moses leads the people of God, the Israelites, out to a mountain called Mount Sinai, a big rock, really, out there in the wilderness, Mount Sinai. And we read in Exodus 19 that something extraordinary happened on that mountain. What, what happened was that, that God himself came, came down upon this mountain in power. And so Exodus 19 verse 16 describes what happens. It says this, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. Whoa. It's one of those Hollywood moments. You can imagine, big, big display, pyrotechnics, thunder, lightning. You know when the earthquake, ha the earthquake happened the other day, that, that small one that kind of jolted you awake? Well, this wasn't like that, all right? This is big. This is massive. This is lightning. This is thunder. This is violence, all right? And, uh, and the effect was terrifying. And then, of course, Moses is called up to the top of the mountain by God to meet with him. And uh, just him alone, and that's important. No one else, just Moses was taken up to the mountain. And, uh, and, and in fact, he, he goes up, and several times over the days following, he goes up to the top of the mountain to meet with God. Uh, and then finally, on one occasion, he disappears up there for 40 days. He's up the mountain. <laughs> lightning smoke Moses has gone up the mountain and he meets with God and God lays down a covenant or a contract a covenant with the people and the covenant comes in the form of what we now call the any ideas the ten commandments there they are in case you've forgotten you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother. Shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not be a false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet. And this contract or covenant from God really went like this. And it's like God is speaking. It's like God said, look, if you keep these commandments, I will bless you and prosper you and protect you and use you to bless the ends of the earth. And that is the old covenant. And God wrote these commandments on tablets of stone, and Moses descends the mountain, Charlton Heston, if you've seen the old, old version, hair blasted, 
white and he comes down with these tablets of stone with the commandments on them. And that is the old covenant. Trouble is, in fact, the great problem throughout the whole of the Old Testament is that the people of God failed again and 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 again to keep them. They, they could not keep them. They broke them continually, day after day, year after year. And really the reason for that was, was really to do with the heart, actually. It was their hearts. Their hearts weren't really wanting to follow God or his holy standards. Not, not actually. And in fact, as has always been the case with fallen humanity, their hearts were far more centered on themselves and were sinful. And they were quite happy to draw after their own pleasures and their own sin and greed and lust and pride and the other things that afflict our society around us. Their hearts were not right. And that's why often if you read the Old Testament, it can be quite depressing. It can be quite a sad read because you just see again and again a people disobeying God and being far from him and as a result they're invaded by enemies and eventually they are sent into exile and Jerusalem is destroyed and it's a miserable read. But the thing is, even in the Old Testament there were prophecies of a new day coming. A new day coming. A day when God would step in and make a radically new covenant with the people, a new contract. A day when he would forgive their sin and come personally to them and reach in and change their hearts. And that's the point. Change their hearts and give them an inner desire to love him and please him that they never had before. And it's prophesied about again and again. In fact, there's a few of them here. Jeremiah 31. This is in the Old Testament. Jeremiah prophesies, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Right? Get that? I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. It won't just be external commandments that you have to try and obey and fail. No, I'll come to you and transform you from the inside. And you will feel inclined to love me and desire to please me. Again, Ezekiel, another famous one, Ezekiel 36. I will give you, God says, a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will, get this, I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Can the spirit will come within you and move you? No more trying to outwardly conform or perform, but inwardly loving to follow me. My spirit in you. That's what the new covenant will do. And I guess, <laughs> I guess the challenge we have today is an over-familiarity with this. Because even as I'm speaking all this, there are some of you saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, and? Yes, I learned that many years ago. Whatever. Whatever. Something new today, Pete. But you've got to understand, this change from the old covenant is massive. And when Paul brought this to the Corinthians, it radically affected them, blew them away, because it brought huge changes in how they could relate to God. And Paul goes on in this chapter to mention at least two of these changes. 
And I just want to really try and bring them fresh to you today because I think we've lost it a bit. That's why I want to bring it to you. Because of over-familiarity and other things, we can lose these things. So I want to bring two of these changes back to you. And the first change is really this. No distance. When you're following a car, sometimes men, your wife sometimes says to you, there's no distance. No distance. No distance now between God and us. That's the first change. Under the old covenant, Moses alone could go up the mountain and stand before God. Everyone else, far away, terrified, didn't want to be near because of the holiness of God. And that's how it remained throughout the whole of the Old Testament. No one could come close to this holy God. If they did, they would die because of their sin. In fact, only one man could appear before God and not die, and that was the high priest. The high priest. But he could only appear before God once annually, one day, the Day of Atonement. He could appear before God for just a very short time, and he would come before God with a bowl of incense in front of him, in front of the Ark of the Covenant where the glory of God sat. He could come before this Ark, and the smoke of the incense would rise and, and, and keep him from seeing the glory of God. So he'd come in and he'd kind of hide. And look, if there was a, if there was a breeze, whew, he would die. <laughs> it was like, oh no, and he would die. That would be the last thing he would say. All right, because of the holiness of God. So, I mean, can you imagine being the high priest? It's not a great job. Can you imagine the build-up towards the day of atonement? You know what it's like when you've got to go to the doctor or a hospital appointment? It kind of affects you days before. Well, can you imagine for the high priest, days before, Day of Atonement, it's on the calendar, on the fridge, on my word, and uh, I can imagine that the day is getting close, he's getting edgy, he's not so happy around the home, and uh, the day before he's not much of an appetite. In the morning he misses his breakfast. When he says goodbye to his family, it's a close hug because he's off to meet with God. The point is, it was terrifying. It was terrifying because of his holiness. So God remains hidden and far away. In the new covenant, because God sent his son to die on a cross and deal with our sin, the barrier and the distance is taken away. And so now God, and this is unheard of in the Old Testament, God comes not to a mountaintop in the distance, but he comes to each one of us and makes his home within us. So Tim Keller, great theologian really, he says this, the same divine glory that would have been fatal to the Old Testament saints on contact now comes into the hearts of those pardoned by Christ. It's wonderful. And then he goes on to say the result is this. He says, we can now have hearts to praise, sing and pray to a God with a joy and reality that neither David nor John the Baptist could know. God will not merely build us a house he will make us his house. He will fill us with his presence, beauty, and glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you see that? This God who was on Mount Sinai, the God whom everyone else fled from and could not be near, is now with you. With you and among us. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, all the others will be astonished at the privilege you and I have. I sometimes try and imagine it, that if Moses, somehow I could talk to him, if Moses was out there somewhere in the spine or, or down the road, if I could say to Moses, Moses, come to church this morning. And Moses would say to me, well, why? Who's going to be there? 
And I could say to Moses, well, we're going to be there. Oh, and also God will be among us. You can imagine Moses going, what? That's impossible. What? You've got to be choking. But he is among us. And he's not terrifying. Because now through the death of his son, he has become father. And now we can have hearts to praise, sing, and pray to a God with a joy and reality that neither David nor John the Baptist could know. Guys, we are in a privileged position in the new covenant. There are no barriers, no distance. The Spirit is here. That's not a hype. That is the truth. The Spirit is here, closer to you than your very breath. And even as we worship this morning, couldn't you sense him? What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. I could just sense the Spirit of God upon us as we sang those words. When we lay hands on the sick, whether it's here or whether it's in a tent over in Poro East at the market, we sense the Spirit of God coming upon people and meeting with them. It's wonderful. Today at Alpha, several miles up the coast, we are praying that the Spirit will come upon them. And we can do that because he's here. Now, even a few weeks ago, Phil was telling me they had a, they had a healing time uh, on the Alpha course, and there came a moment at the end when Phil said, uh, hands up if, if, if people felt anything during this evening, felt God in any kind of way. And he said, every hand went up. Guests as well as team. Hallelujah. But you see, you've got to understand his heart, according to Callan, it's true, his heart is to fill us with his presence, beauty and glory. There is more. That's what he established the new covenant for. Not just that we experience what we've had thus far, but to fill us with more. God will not merely build us a house, he will make us his house. Hallelujah. This is a supernatural impact of the new covenant. We are now, by definition, a people of the Spirit. You're not just a Kiwi girl or guy going about your work, putting the kids through school, paying the bills. You are a person of the Spirit first and foremost. God is in you. And there is more of him that you can receive and enjoy. We'll come back to that. So that's the first thing about this new covenant that Paul glories in. The second thing, shorter, second thing I want to touch on is this. Is that now that the Spirit is within and among us, he is changing us, as he promised. Changing our hearts, our desires from the inside. He is moving you to follow his decrees, writing the law on your hearts, or as Paul says in Philippians 2, he is at work in you to will and to do according to his good pleasure. All right? It's like he's taken out your old... OS, your old operating system, which was obsolete and broken and DOS 3.0. And he's put within you a new operating system programmed to love God and perfect to receive his input. That's what you've received. And you see, this is so important. The Christian life isn't about you and me trying desperately to improve ourselves on our own, you know, trying to make ourselves godly by trying to obey the rules the external ones, you know, you must not steal, you must put God first, you must not murder or hate, you must not covet, you must not lust or commit adultery, you must read your Bible, you must pray, you must perform. 
That's slavery again. That's the old covenant. No, the promise of the new covenant is God is at work in me to change my heart and put within me a yearning to love him and please him. That's the promise. And you see, that changes everything because the only thing I need to, in one sense, do as a believer or think about is how I can put myself in the best place for that change to happen. It's about positioning myself. It's about placing myself best for his spirit to work deepest in me. That's what I need and I want to think about. And really what that means is this. It means building a lifestyle where I can truly contemplate the glory of the Lord. And that's what Paul says in verse 17. Paul says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom from external laws on tablets of stone. And then he goes on to say this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Look, can we just read this verse together? Verse 18, can we just read it together? Here we go. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. What do we do now? We contemplate the glory of the Lord. We, we simply take advantage of the fact that there's no distance, no veil between us and God anymore, and we turn and face the God who has come to us, and we build a lifestyle that contemplates his glory. That's what we do. That's what we do. In other words, we build our lives on praise and worship and prayer and his word. And can you see we do these things not in order to perform, but in order to position ourselves to contemplate the glory of the Lord and to be changed. So am I saying, oh, you don't want us to read the Bible anymore, Pete? No, no. You read the Bible more than you ever did because the motivation is different. You'll pray more than you ever did because the motivation is different. Now it's not in order to perform, it's in order to position. It's in order to contemplate the glory of the Lord. And as we do so, we find this, that our love for him deepens. And we find obedience just isn't that hard anymore. And our appetite for sin declines. And we find ourselves changing from one degree of glory to the next. You know, for me, it's kind of summed up in an old worship song that many of us used to sing. And some of you will remember the minute I started. I won't sing it, but I'll say it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's true. The more we gaze on him and his beauty, and his glory, the more the attractiveness of sin just fades away. And actually, the more we become like him. Reminds me of one of my favorite hymns written by a guy back in the 1600s in Germany. A guy who was writing in the midst of revival. God was coming with such power upon the church at the time. And he wrote this hymn, and one of the verses goes like this. Show me thy face, one transient gleam of loveliness divine. This is the, the writer. And I shall never think or dream of other love save thine. 
All lesser light will darken quite, all lower glories wane, and the beautiful of earth, worldliness, will scarce seem beautiful again. That's what Paul is saying here. That's the glory of the new covenant. It's not about just about external obedience and performance. It's about engaging with the Spirit and nurturing love and being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. What a covenant. What a covenant. This is the supernatural impact of the new covenant. And folks, this is where we want to go. This is where we need to go. Because without meaning to, it's true, isn't it? It's easy to reduce our faith to empty ritual and tradition. It is easy for that to happen, isn't it? It's easy to drift back into lifelessness and just going through the motions, just kind of turning up at church and having your quiet time and going through the, the rituals. It's easy to reduce our faith to ritual. Easy to find our gaze drifting away then to other things, to other things that tantalize us, the next game that comes down the pike or, or the next gimmick or technical this, that or the other. It's so easy to drift away to that interest or this. Other loves, other concerns. Ah, oh, the kids are keeping me awake at night. Other concerns and other sin. It's so easy to drift away. But the new covenant was given to us for more than that. It was given that you might be Filled with his spirit. Filled with his presence. And being transformed and being in a church that transforms everyone around it as a result. That's what we're called to be. I haven't checked with Delhi whether I can even share this. I think it's okay. A few Friday nights uh, ago, I had the privilege of being with Esther and Dali and Francis and Tatenda and Digi was there, Digi too, and, and to be with a group of these wonderful Africans worshipping and praising God. Just, it was glorious. You know what Esther and Dali and you know, what, what these lovely folks are like here among us as they're worshipping and glorifying God. Well, you get them on their own with a crowd of other Africans, it's like you're on another planet. It was, it was special. In fact, I said to Dali a while ago, I'd love to come back and I just so enjoyed it. And so I went, and on that Friday night, the, the presence of God was so powerful, so tangible as we met. We were contemplating the glory of the Lord. And then towards the end of the worship time, the door opened, and Mike Tana walked in, who is the mayor of Pororua. And um, he just kind of put his head behind the door. Uh, no one else recognized him, but I did. And I know Mike wouldn't mind me telling the story. Because he loves God. He's a believer. Goes to a church over in Porua East. So he puts his head around the door and he just sits down in the, on, the, on the chair as the singing and praising still going on. He's just sitting there. Then we did a few other things. But there came a moment when Dali got up on his feet and Dali said, anybody want to say anything? And Mike got up and his chain spilled out of his suit, his mayoral chain. And he got up and he began to talk but he couldn't talk and tears rolled down his face. And he just sobbed and cried and Esther came and gave him a tissue. And it was just, but the thing that moved me so much about this, it was just the spirit of God upon the guy, upon the group. And it gave me a wonderful picture. I thought, this is what the church should be like. So full of the presence of God that other secular authorities 
are moved and bow down. I know Mike, he loves the Lord, but, but the point of a mare with a mural chain and tears falling on it as he's meeting God. Don't you long for that? Don't you long for the church to be like that? So full of the glory and grace of God that it affects other powers around it and they come and bow? That's our calling. To be so full of the wonder of the new covenant and the impact of the Holy Spirit that this is what happens. The reality is, you see, and the temptation is to stand on a chair and shout it, but I know if I do that, I'll just come across as some American preacher or something. But the truth is, is that God is here. The Old Testament saints would have been staggered. And he is beckoning your gaze. And he's drawing you back. And he's drawing all of us deeper. I want to ask you this morning as I close, how thirsty are you to be filled with his Holy Spirit? How hungry are you for this? How desperate are you to move on in God? Because it's so frustrating to circle and circle and circle and they seem to make no headway. Or maybe how desperate are you to bring life into your Christian walk again? because you feel it's kind of grown dull and cold. Let me say to you, God is here to fill you and to take you further and to transform your Bible reading so that you read it with a passion rather than as a chore and fill your prayer and your worship. There are prayer warriors here, as Claire said earlier, as God prompted her. They'll only come out as the Spirit comes upon. We need the Holy Spirit. We need the real deal. And the privilege is that that's what God is calling us to. Amen? And you see, Paul, that was his ministry, was to bring others into that. And that's why Paul says, oh, I'm not competent in myself. I'm just old Paul. But God has made me competent to talk about this covenant where God can come and fill even the deadest person with life and bring them back to God. I want to be one who shares that ministry. And we want to be a church that does it to the heart of our nation and beyond. Amen. Let's stand, shall we? Let's stand. Hallelujah. My mum always taught me that it's never polite to speak about someone when they're in the room. So I'm going to talk to our God. And we have been, but we're going to come before him now with an understanding that we are in a new covenant. Where God is not just on a mountaintop somewhere else or a conference somewhere else. Sometimes we think that God only speaks when he speaks with a foreign accent and comes from some far off places and is only there in a conference of thousands. No, that's not what it says. The new covenant is that God is here by his spirit. Jesus came amongst 12 disciples and they overturned the empire. No, God is here. He doesn't despise our numbers. He looks at your heart. Let's just stand before him now, shall we, for a moment. I want to ask you that if you if you are thirsty for more, 
you know there is more because you read it in the Bible and you hear it about it from others, if you're thirsty for more, I want to just encourage you to put your hands out in an attitude of receiving because it's an act of faith. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I'm here to receive. I'm not trying to, it's not a gimmick. I just know that if I do something, it sometimes helps. Holy Spirit, would you come upon us, please? Holy Spirit, would you fill us where we're hungry? Holy Spirit, thank you for how you've carried us this far, but we know you have more for us because you want to fill us. We thank you for tastes, but we know there is more. Jesus went to the cross for more than this. The new covenant was for more than what we've tasted. So will you rest upon us, Lord? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Now, as you're standing before him, the Spirit is here. Not because of me, but because of him, he is here. Hallelujah. Fill us, Lord. Lord, we turn away from the things that have taken our gaze and robbed us of knowing you more. We repent, we change our minds, we turn away, we turn to you now. And we say, come and fill us afresh. Jesus' name. More, Lord. More. Let's just stay before him. More, Lord. More, more, more. More, more, more. Thank you, Lord. Now, even as I'm praying this, there may be some here and you're thinking, God, I need this. I long for change I've been circling too long I want to really as Sam prayed saying earlier I bow down I bow down I bow down and I ask you to breathe on my life and raise me up in the power of your spirit full and overflowing that's you this morning and you feel that hunger you're desperate for that thirst. Now, I know we all are, but I know there are some particularly who are desperate for more. As my good friend John Buckerfield reminded me, it's about thirst. And I agree. If you're thirsty this morning, Sam's going to lead us in one song. And as he leads it, if that is you, then I would encourage you to put one foot in front of the other and just to make your way forward. It's, it's not anything in itself, but it helps us. It's like getting out of the boat and walking on the sea and saying, I'm looking for change. So rather than getting out of a boat this morning and walking on the sea, I'm saying get out of your comfort zone and walk forward and we'll gather around and we will pray with you, not, not over you, but with you because we want more ourselves. So if that is you this morning, as Sam leads us in this song, 
you come forward and we'll pray with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Sam. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm saved by the blood of 